Hi guys, it's Victoria here and welcome to the Motorsport Stories podcast. This is episode 4, Group B and Safety and Rally. In this episode, we will take a closer look at the Group B that today is still remembered as the golden age of rallying, even though it only existed for 4 years in the 1980s. We will also take a quick look at Safety and Rally and how it has developed since the days of the Group B. The Group B was the top echelon of rally for a four-year period between 1983 and 1986, even rivaling Formula 1 in terms of fan popularity. Well, why exactly is it so popular? In brief terms, Group B rally had very few rules, leaving the different manufacturers to get very creative with their technical improvements in order to make the flimsy, lightweight Group B cars that already had a ridiculous amount of horsepower even faster. These cars maxed out the amount of horsepower in the final 1986 season with a whopping 500 horsepower. So some of the factors that made the Group B so legendary were the high amount of horsepower in combination with low weight and improved technical advancements. This was combined with rallying being a motorsport driven out in nature on regular roads with all sorts of surface like tarmac, gravel and sand, as well as all weather conditions, sun, rain or snow. Adding to the appeal, as well as the danger, was the fact that you as a spectator could get extremely close to the cars. Just do a quick Group B rally Google search and you will see for yourself. So what were actually the rules of the Group B? The teams did actually have a set of rules they had to comply with, like having to produce 200 streetcars in order to enter the Group B, which was still much less than in the Group A rally that had been the top tier of world rallying up until then, where 400 cars had to be produced. And if any minor changes were made to the Group B cars, only 20 new streetcars had to be produced. Additionally, the cars were not allowed to have an open roof they had to have two seats, compared to the Group A cars that had to have four seats. There was also a basic set of rules regarding displacement, weight and wheel width that the manufacturers had to follow. Group B also had different subdivisions that the cars could compete in based on their engine size and maximum weight. The sport is well known for its legendary cars, so let's take a look at them. In Group B, we talk about a so-called holy trinity of cars. Three cars that even up until today have a special place in most car-loving people's hearts. So these are of course the Audi Quattro S1, the Peugeot 205 T16 and the Lancia Delta S4. But since car manufacturers had to produce such a low number of road cars to be able to compete in the Group B, Many car makes had a go at building Group B rally cars, so we also saw cars such as the Opel Manta 400, the Skoda 130LR, the Toyota Celica Twin Cam Turbo, the MG Metro 6R4, and Ford's RS200. And why exactly was it that these cars were so special? The era was characterized by cars with big turbo engines and four-wheel drive. Four-wheel drive had actually been introduced to the world of rallying a few years prior to the Group B emerging and had absolutely and utterly revolutionized the sport. See, up until then rally cars had rear-wheel drive and the willingness to introduce four-wheel drive was lacking. 
Many people didn't think that the extra added grip you would get from the four-wheel drive would make too much of a difference overall, due to the extra amount of weight the four-wheel drive would add to the car, compared to if it had rear-wheel drive. But lo and behold, when Audi introduced their four-wheel drive Audi Quattro in their Austrian Jella Rally of 1981, Franz Wittmann went on to win every single one of the 31 stages of the rally, in addition to changing the sport of rallying forever. And as groundbreaking as Audi's pre-group B introduction of four-wheel drive was to the sport, the manufacturer and the car that stands out as the most important car from the Group B was the teeny tiny 205 T16 from Peugeot. This we can all agree is a very cute looking car. However, it was an absolute monster with a mid-mounted turbocharged engine giving the car a perfectly balanced weight distribution and additionally having four-wheel drive. So basically it sounds like there was no budget limit. And indeed, the combination of the limited amount of regulations and the manufacturers having enormous budgets at their disposal for the development of the cars there were almost no limits to the groundbreaking innovations introduced to make the cars faster. And so the teams experimented with using materials such as carbon fiber, Kevlar and plastic. One reason for introducing all these new materials was to ensure that the cars did not exceed the maximum weight given for the different classes in the Group B. You heard that right, maximum, not minimum weight, like we see in many motorsport series today. Hence, the sport was also often criticized for imposing unrealistic maximum car weights on the teams, forcing them to use flimsy materials and even skip out on safety features. To jump over to a completely different topic, let's take a look at the accidents of the Group B era. So up until 1985, there hadn't been an overwhelming amount of fatalities in the Group B. But during the 1985 and 1986 seasons, a series of accidents did take place that also did give the sport a more deadly reputation. In the Tour de Course rally in 1985, the Lancia driver Attilio Bettega hit a tree and was killed. Another big accident had also taken place during the 1985 season. In Argentina, Arioatanen had a big crash that left him with a broken leg, punctured lung and broken ribs. Then during the 1986 season, in Rally Portugal, a tragic accident injured several spectators and even led to the death of three of them after the Portuguese driver Joaquim Santos lost control of his car and crashed into a large group of spectators. This accident actually led to some drivers and teams wanting to pull out of the Group B altogether. However, this desire was quickly crushed by the governing body in motorsport at the time, FISA that insisted that the teams were obligated to keep on racing. According to many, it was one specific event that is said to have been the end of the Group B. On the 2nd of May 1986, during the Tour de Course rally, where there had been a massive accident only the year before, another tragic accident took place that since then has been a bit of a mystery. To give a bit of background information, the driver involved in this accident, Henry Doivonen, was seen as a rising star well on his way to winning the world championship that year and was regarded as probably the only person in the world 
who could truly tame the beast of a car that was the Lancia Delta S4. But instead of turning in the corner where the accident happened, Toivonen and his car just drove straight on. As a result, Toivonen, his co-driver Sergio Cresto and the Lancia Delta S4 ended up at the bottom of a steep drop where there were some trees. The first people arriving at the scene of the accident were Bruno Sabi and his co-driver, who initially drove through the corner only to notice the smoke of the burning car afterwards, which prompted Sabi to do one of the biggest no-nos in rally, turn his car around and drive back to the corner in the wrong direction. But by the time they reached the scene of the accident, there was nothing that could be done to save Doivonen and Cresto from the car that was now burning. And why is it that this accident is still a mystery to this day? Firstly, the corner in question was not supposed to be particularly challenging and surely the massively talented Doivonen would be able to drive through the corner without any issues, also considering that he was leading the rally by quite a margin before this fatal stage in the 1986 Tour de Course. Adding to the mystery is the fact that there were no eyewitnesses to the accident, except from driver Henry Toivonen and his co-driver Sergio Cresto, that were both tragically killed in the accident. Other than that, the only footage of the accident is a video showing the smoke coming from the burning Lancia taken from down the road. Also, there was a lack of brake marks leading up to the corner. These things have led many to speculate on the reasons as to why the accident could even happen. Was something wrong with the car? It was and still is impossible to find out as the car completely burned out as a result of the accident and could therefore not be inspected. Others have also speculated that it happened due to a driver error as Doivonen was reported to be feeling ill during the event. Without the opportunity of just calling in sick, he was likely taking medication, which could have affected his concentration. What exactly made this accident specific to the Group B? Well, there are many reasons. Among them, the fact that the gas tank was not reinforced as there was a rally on tarmac roads, not on gravel roads, allowing the trees to rip open the gas tank and for the car to start burning. Also, distance covered during a rally event in the Group B days. You drove as much in a day as you would in a modern world championship rally during an entire event spread over an entire weekend. The overall speed the cars reached by the end of the Group B era made them so fast drivers barely had any time to react to any upcoming corners. There was also the lack of crowd control that made spectators stand in the middle of the road all the way up until the cars came past them at an unbelievable speed, putting the spectators at a great risk. The organization behind the Group B was criticized for profiting from the danger level of the sport as this did undeniably attract a lot of fans to the sport, so it had been speculated that it was actually desired to keep the sport dangerous. To back all this up, in Doivonen's last interview he gave before his fatal accident, he came with this chilling prediction. Today, we have driven more than the whole distance of the 1000 Lakes Rally. After four hours of driving, it's hard to keep up with the speed, so with a modern car like this, it's just impossible to race here. It's physically exhausting and the brains can't keep up with it anymore. What were then the immediate consequences of the accident? 
Only four days after Doivinen's accident, the FISA president, Jean-Marie Ballester, announced that after the 1986 season, the Group B would be finished. However, we can see that the Group B didn't just come to a sudden end after the deaths of Doivinen and Cresto. Its demise was a culmination of the aforementioned events, as well as the increased criticism of the sport, which led to the inevitable ban of the Group B. Others argued that the decision to stop the Group B was a political one, as it was becoming an issue for the International Motorsport Association, The Group B was rivaling the top echelon in motorsport, Formula 1, in popularity. And then, what happened to the Group B? The plan was now to return to the Group A rally being the top tier of the sport. Group A, of course, being for production cars only. However, this wasn't going to improve the safety of the sport majorly, as the year of 1989 would see a record of driver and co-driver deaths, with a total of five fatalities in only three months. The actual Group B rally cars were relocated to the European Rallycross Championship in the period between 1987 and 1992, where they completely dominated the sport. In later times, some of the cars could also be encountered in the Pikes Peak Hill Climb as well as in the Dakar Rally. And now we will take a closer look at the safety in rally during the Group B era and afterwards. Up until the 1985 season, the safety in Group B had actually not been too bad. The 1985 and 1986 season then of course set the stage with the terrible accents that we just looked at. Even during the 1985 season and again after the season, the safety of the Group B was reviewed and some minor changes were made to the cars, such as introducing more sturdy roll cages and also overhang aerodynamics like spoilers were banned. And how exactly has rallying become safer after the Group B? Much has been done to improve the safety in rally. Modern cars have a lot more grip and are easier to drive than back in the Group B days. Also, the distance covered during a rally event nowadays compared to back in the Group B days has declined drastically, making the event less of an exhausting marathon. On the flip side, less people now follow the sport and manufacturers also invest less money in rallying. The increased focus on safety having taken away the focus on all the newest inventions to make the fastest, most crazy cars that could have given car manufacturers plenty of publicity back in the day. Another aspect as to how we can see that the safety in rally has improved is that up until the tragic death of co-driver Michael Park in the 2005 Wales Rally GB, the sport had actually seen a more than a decade long period of no fatal accidents. And what about spectator safety in rally? Even though spectators nowadays are required to stand behind a barrier in designated areas only, and back in the 80s they would stand in the middle of the road right up until the car came, spectator safety is still a big topic in rally. What makes rally unique in comparison to most other types of motorsport is that its spectators are very much so required to adhere to a set of safety rules. Back in the days of the Group B, and you will know if you've seen any YouTube videos from rallies in the 80s, spectators would be standing in the middle of the road all the way up until the car was inches away from them. There was no control of the spectators at all, and no attempts were made to keep them at a distance from the oncoming cars. Within the Group B fan community, you could even get quite a bit of street cred if you managed to get injured by a Group B car passing you. 
And there are even stories of various teams' mechanics finding ripped-off fingers on the cars after some rally stages. However, nowadays many improvements have been made to improve spectator safety, like informing rally fans that they have obligations and rules to follow when attending a rally, creating designated areas for spectators and putting up barriers so spectators can't walk onto the roads as easily. But what makes improving rally safety considerably more challenging than other types of motorsport is a combination of factors. First of all, with rally taking place out in nature and mainly on public roads, obstacles like trees, road signs, buildings and even animals are just things you have to deal with. Another factor is the mere amount of kilometers covered during a rally event. And it is not like you drive in circles like you would on a racetrack. Every stage covers a different route, making every kilometer driven different. This also makes it hard to secure every dangerous part of a route. Also, you have a much lower density of race marshals, ensuring driver and spectator safety than on a regular racetrack. So it would be hard for anyone to keep an eye on all the spectators along the route to see if they follow the rules. On racetracks, spectators are mostly located behind a huge fence or barrier, ensuring that they won't be hit by any debris if a car was to crash nearby. But on public roads, this just isn't an option meaning that even if spectators stand in a designated area, they still have the chance of being hit by a car. And what is happening in the world of rally safety today? Despite rally not being as mind-blowingly crazy as back in the Group B era, in the past five years or so, the sport has been increasingly criticized for being unsafe. The sport has even been threatened to be banned in many locations, like in the UK. If drastic changes were not to be made to the overall safety and especially to spectator safety. A number of fatal accidents and rally events in recent years have forced race organizers, the International Motorsport Association, FIA, and even fans themselves to get creative coming up with solutions on how to improve rally safety. Even last year, a stage of the Wales Rally GB had to be cancelled after a group of spectators refused to remove themselves from a spot deemed to be too dangerous. Some of these suggestions include for organizers to be more mindful of creating viable and safe viewing areas for the fans that are also close to parking areas, meaning people don't have to walk along the route itself to get to their desired viewing location. The FIA and Siemens have also gotten together and with the help of the newest innovations in the world of technology, they hope to improve spectator safety. Here they hope to install sensors along rally stages that will detect if any spectators get too close to the road or even step out onto the road. And the sensors will send notifications in case this happens so that organizers, race marshals and drivers can act accordingly. Jean Todd, current FIA president and former director of racing of Peugeot back in the Group B days, even said this about the cooperation between Siemens and the FIA. Quote, Disagreement between Siemens and the FIA on a project that involves research and development at the highest level of motorsport and urban transportation technology will enable us to make racing safer and significantly influence the development of transportation in smart cities. So the hope is even that the introduction of these technologies in the world of rally can act as a test ground to maybe implement similar technologies in the world of road safety.
And it's actually not the first time that technologies invented in the world of rallying have been introduced to road cars and public roads after they've been able to stand the test of rally racing. But that's maybe a topic we can cover in one of our future episodes. And so this is it for a quick overview of the Group B and safety in rally. If you ever have any questions, some feedback, or would like to suggest a topic for the show, please feel free to leave a comment on the Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook page, or send me an email. Contact information can be found in the show notes alongside any sources that might have been used for this episode. And please remember, if you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. And of course, spread the word, tell your friends about the show. Until next time, have a speedy day.